Welcome to the most energetic, positive, happy, and healthy podcast in the world. Living the dream. Dream stands for diet, rest, exercise, attitude, and meaning. I'm your host, certified health coach, motivational speaker, sober since July of 2016, American Ninja Warrior competitor, two-time world record holder, and ultra-marathoner, Matt Scaletti. Here we go! What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Living the Dream podcast. Matt Scaletti here. We're diving right in to the toughest road marathon in the U.S., maybe on the planet, is how this event is marketed. It is the Blue Ridge Marathon in Roanoke, Virginia. Amazing town, city, beautiful place, incredible people. I will never forget visiting Roanoke. And I hope to go back in the future, whether it's this event or for something else, learned a ton about endurance racing, myself, and competition and being around other people that are running, just a lot of takeaways, but I wanna highlight a few. And as the title says, one of the things I wanna highlight is vulnerability because it's something I've struggled with for years, for many, many years. And I'll get into some more emotional topics and conversations because I think that is being real. That is being, that is me being vulnerable, being real, being authentic. And I feel most alive when I am not fake, when I'm giving you the real me, good, bad, sad, happy, mad, doesn't matter. I want to bring it and give you the real me and real takeaways I got from this Blue Ridge Marathon. So here's how the event went. For the people that did the double marathon, which I think there was only 50 some who completed it, the double marathoner started at one o'clock in the morning and you had to be done by 6.30 in the morning because the regular marathoners and the 10Kers and the half marathoners started at 7 a.m. So you had to get done, check in with the race director and say, you got back okay and you made it and you're ready to go out for your second marathon crazy way to do it. I loved it because first off, running the first marathon completely in the dark and mainly alone. I mean, we, I was running with another incredible human being who I would describe, but there's only a few of you out there on the entire marathon course. So you're not seeing more than a couple people in a four, five, six hour period of time. And then starting the second marathon is when the crowds came out. And that's when the energy was there. That was 7 a.m., till noon, one, two o'clock, however long it took people. And it was a big energy boost because it was crowded. The energy was high. People were drinking, partying, doing jello shots, handing out waters and gummy bears and Skittles and a bunch of fun things. So I think the timing of how the event worked was great. And it was just fascinating because the marathon started Saturday morning at 1 a.m., I went to bed Friday after I checked in around three o'clock. I was in bed by 4.30, set my alarm for 11.30. So I tried to get at least six and a half, seven hours of sleep. Surprisingly, I fell asleep pretty quick. Normally the night before race day, I have a harder time sleeping. I slept really good. I probably got at least six, six and a half hours of good sleep. Woke up confused as my alarm went off at 11.30. You know, it's that like three second period of time where you're thinking, 
wait, what am I doing? Is it 1130 in the morning? Is it at night? Why am I getting up? And you, you sort of have to try to get your bearings really quick. And I thought, okay, that's right. I'm in Roanoke. I'm running a double marathon starting in an hour. So I get down there, start meeting people, just joking around, having fun. I mean, it's 1245 at night. There's nobody else out there besides these crazy people. You had a headlight on, obviously. The course was decently marked, but not always easy to follow. So we had to use an app that they gave us that taught, there's a woman that talked to you like a GPS to tell you when to turn because there was a lot of turns, most of them marked, but in the middle of the night, when all you have is a light, little headlamp, it's hard to see some of the arrows on the ground or on signs, et cetera. Thank goodness I ran with a woman named Jody who saved me. She's ex-military. Thank you for your service, Jody. And she had her app on the entire time. We ran together for probably at least two or three hours back half of the first marathon. We finished it together. And there's just these heroic people out there, Jody being one, met a guy named Eric unbelievably inspiring guy. He had a kilt on the entire time. Funny guy, having a blast out there, even when he's in pain. Brittany, somebody else who I met, I ran the first probably eight or 10 miles with her of the, of the 1 a.m. marathon. And these communities, for those of you that are thinking about getting into any running or Spartan or Tough Mudder, 5K, half marathon, full marathon, doesn't matter. I would almost guarantee you, you're gonna enjoy the community. Most people, now there's clearly competitive people who are there for one thing, and that's to win or do, just focus on themselves, run hard and not talk to you. And that's okay too. That's fine. But there's always a ton of people that want to do their best, but also want to talk every now and then and meet other people and connect with others who are suffering along with them. So and that's what I love about the running community and the Ironman community and many of these others that I've been a part of. So we start running at 1 a.m. I felt really strong for almost the entire first marathon. We had a nice pace going. The reason they call it the toughest road marathon in the world is because the elevation change is something like 8,500 feet. And remember, then you have to come down 8,500 feet. And that's the hardest part on my knees is the coming down. So I'd rather actually go slightly uphill than downhill the whole way, which is bizarre. But my knees just struggle when it's that much downhill. We get through the first marathon, finish it up with Jody. And I can tell you this, at the end of the first marathon, this was the coolest part. The start of the original, the normal marathon was only like 20, 30 minutes after we came in. We timed it perfectly. So it's getting busy out on the street. There must have been five, six, seven hundred people out there cheering on the double marathoners because there were not that many of us that came in. So the crowd that was there when we, when Jody and I finished the first marathon was massive and they were going nuts. They were excited to see us. And then I get a chance to head out to the Hampton Inn hotel to change socks and stretch and get some food, get some water, and then boom, go out there for the second marathon. Here's what I can say in the second marathon. It was painful. My knees, my legs, my body was in pain. And one thing I learned and I want to share with you always, and I just got asked this on a podcast, I'm starting to learn much better the difference between discomfort, just you're going through an uncomfortable period because it's hard and injury pain. Like there's two different kinds of pains, 
right? There's one where it's just going to be uncomfortable because you're putting in a lot of miles. And there's another type of pain that's injury pain that I should have known in August of 2020 when I ran those 21 marathons in 21 days, 15 marathons in, I had a torn Achilles, but I kept running. Not smart. I'm learning my body. I'm getting less stubborn. I'm learning when to stop. As this double marathon played out, I felt great. I did not think I had to stop. And that's why I kept going. But I love learning the body. And for you newer runners out there, you will start learning this as well. You will learn the difference between this is just uncomfortable and I'm expecting this and I'm going to push through this versus maybe something feels a little off and I have a slight injury. It's better to stop then versus continuing to run or doing whatever activity you're doing and making it worse. Second marathon, pain gets worse, but the energy gets better, meaning the crowd was all out there. The back half of the marathon was almost all in residential streets. So I can't even tell you how many people, it was like one out of every three or four houses there, whether it was an individual with their dog or by themselves or with their spouse or with their family was outside cheering people on. A lot of them just had a table set up with, they were eating some food, getting some drinks. A lot of them were handing out waters to the runners or food, as I said, gummy bears, pretzels, whatever they had. Some people were blasting music. Remember, it's only eight, nine o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning. They're pounding music. They're partying out there. And from what I saw, a lot of these people did not even know a runner. They were just cheering on being a part of Roanoke, Virginia and enjoying the atmosphere. And if anybody's listening to this or watching this and you have never run a marathon or any running event, that cheering for five or 10 seconds or 20 seconds can give runners an energy boost, this is in my opinion, but can give runners an energy boost that lasts for half a mile or a mile or sometimes more. Some of these little kids that were there with their families outside of their homes and they had the little signs that said free high fives or whatever, and then you give them a high five as you go by. There's the sign that says tap here for extra power. And you know, you come over to the the little kid and hit their sign so you can power up. Like that's going to give you energy. That's going to take away the pain at least momentarily. And it was a big, big help on the back half of this second marathon. Now, here's where I'll get into as I conclude the story and I could go on for, for a long time about this. I might give an entire speech on this double marathon. The end of the second marathon, when I finally completed it, I had to walk for a little bit on the last six or seven miles, but I ran the last mile. I always like to finish strong if I can. And there's a ton of people at the finish line. I mean, it's a party. They have like a whole band set up. They have the food vendors there and everybody is sort of right around the finish line. So it is a party. It is crowded. It is loud and it is awesome. And the announcer gets on the microphone and announces everybody who comes through. And they're pretty spread out at that point because there was only like a couple hundred people who did the full marathon. So that's not many, you know, there could be minutes in between finishers. So I I finished by myself. There wasn't really anybody close to me in front or behind me. So the announcer had time to say my name and say what I'm about to share with you. They did a little quick interview with me and it was two minutes about three weeks before this event. I had no idea why they were doing it. I just thought they did it for every runner. It turns out, I guess they do it more for the double marathoners from what I gathered, from what I heard. 
but they got some information about me and they did this for a lot of other people because I listened after I came in. I started listening to other people. And the announcer said something like this when I came through. Remember, there's hundreds of people out there. There's five, six, seven hundred people, runners who just finished and their families and fans and friends and community members, et cetera. The announcer says, here comes Matthew Scaletti, 38 years old from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The reason he did this double marathon is because he has overcome a lot in his life. He overcame alcoholism. He overcame a torn Achilles. And he overcame a very difficult divorce recently. And he is here now competing and completing the toughest road marathon on the planet twice. Congratulations, Matthew Scaletti. And I got to tell you, I did not expect him to say all this. I thought maybe my name and that was it. I became a, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. I mean, I broke down because I, I had no idea he was going to say that. I had no idea the reception that I was going to get once I crossed the finish line and how many people were going to approach me to congratulate me or to say how powerful they thought it was that I brought up some of the most difficult parts of my life. And that was my reason why. There was a bunch of people who had just went through a divorce or a breakup that came up to me and we had incredible discussions. I actually texted my mom after I finished and I said, I'll call you in a little bit. I think I ended up staying there for like an hour and a half or more just talking to 15, 20 people because they heard what the announcer said. And I thought about it as I drove back to the hotel that afternoon. And I thought about the takeaway. I thought about this podcast. I thought about what I wanted to share with you all. And I think it's the power of vulnerability. I would not have met those 15 or 20 people after the marathon had I not been vulnerable to tell the race announcer about all my setbacks. I would have never met all those people. And I've connected with probably five or six people now on Instagram and social media that I'll probably be friends with for the rest of my life, all because of that vulnerability. And the power of being vulnerable, I think, is, is so huge. And I have to keep reminding myself, this episode is selfishly for me as well, because I need this help. I need to be vulnerable. I used to speak about my successes, and I would give a public speech and just say the great things that happen in my life. Well, that, that doesn't connect with anyone because that's not true. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. It wasn't all successes. It was major failures and heartbreak and difficulties and setbacks. And without sharing those and only sharing the successes, that's not real. That is not what really happened. So when I've opened up about being an alcoholic back in the day, I built stronger relationships and friendships when I opened up about getting divorced, I built strong friendships. And the ones that I had, the ones who stuck with me, good times and bad, those relationships got stronger, a lot stronger. And I'll say it's amazing how everything happens for a reason. And I'm just so blessed for all these setbacks because they've taught me so much. Brene Brown, who is very well known in the vulnerability and leadership space, was the first person that I really read. And she wrote a book called Daring Greatly. I'm sitting here looking at it on my bookshelf. And it's about being vulnerable. And it opened my eyes. I've gifted this book to probably 10 or 12 people. I love it. And I think it is a superpower and it can be your superpower. 
whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in business. I think the idea of being a little more vulnerable in business is becoming more powerful. Where if you just act like you know everything in your business, I'm not saying you, you shouldn't know a lot and know as much as you can, but to expect yourself to know everything to me is impossible. And if somebody comes up to me in their business and says, you can ask me whatever you want. I know everything about this business. My red flag goes up thinking, this is somebody who's afraid to admit that they don't know things. So they're, they're likely to make up something, right? And maybe, I don't know if that's, that's right or wrong for me to think that, but I, I think it's impossible to know everything. And it's impossible. I listened to a YouTube video. I'll never forget this. It's like a year and a half ago. And it was interviewing somebody who I really respected. And the question that the interviewer asked was, tell us about your biggest failure and how you overcome it. And the man responded with, I've never really had a failure. And it hit me so hard and it, it felt so fake when I heard that because it, it has to be impossible. I don't think anybody's life is perfect. There was this one guy many years ago who was perfect and that's it. But when somebody says that they've never had a failure, my radar goes up thinking that's, that just cannot be true. And I've had so many failures in my life I've highlighted a few of them with you on this podcast episode. I will keep being open and vulnerable. And if I'm not, call me out because I think it is a superpower. And I invite you all, the takeaway from this podcast episode is find ways in your life where you can be more vulnerable. And it's, it's so difficult to take that step. And I'm still not fully vulnerable around everybody, but I'm getting better. And I'm especially getting better while giving speeches and that's building a better and quicker connection with the audience when I'm being real and being vulnerable and being open about good times and bad. I hope you learned something through this. This power of vulnerability from this Blue Ridge Double Marathon is something I'll never forget. I've journaled about it extensively in my personal journals. I probably have 10 or 15 pages on it. It just meant a lot to me and I learned a lot through this and I will continue to learn and I hope you continue to learn about yourself being vulnerable, and living your best life. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, everybody. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Living the Dream with Matt Scaletti. I'm so grateful for you. Please share this podcast on your social media so others can benefit from this valuable content. Also, please subscribe to my podcast because if you aren't, I am watching you. <laughs> Check me out on social media and message me if you need me as your keynote speaker at Matt Scaletti on social media. I respond to all messages. Thanks, and I love you so much. Oh, 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 oh,